This is the Holy Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. At at that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. So the religious leaders gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Gospel of the Lord. So think of your favorite oxymoron. Now, if you're imagining a person, you're thinking of the wrong kind of moron, and we'll have time for confession later. Oxymoron, right? These are figures of speech, usually short phrases that contain two seemingly contradictory thoughts or images or words, right? So, old news, same difference, original copy, historical fiction, civil war, right? We use these phrases all the time in conversation, and there are so many others, so much so that we don't really even think about the individual words themselves, and like the whole phrase just takes on a meaning all of its own. Even the word oxymoron itself, I learned, comes from two Greek words that mean sharp and dull. So there you have it. But here's another one from our reading today. Our lamb has conquered. Our lamb, the little white fluffy sheep-looking thing, has conquered. Those two things you wouldn't imagine go together. And even though I said I was going to put up a picture of it, I didn't. But it's part of the official seal of the Moravian Church, this Our Lamb Has Conquered image. The Moravian Church being one of our uh, full communion partners in the ELCA. Uh, And the image has this, you maybe seen it before, it's the lamb with the shield. uh, And it says, Our Lamb Has Conquered, Let Us Follow Him. This idea of the conquering lamb so central to our Christian faith. And it's also what one of my New Testament professors from seminary calls the, theme, the central theme of the whole book of Revelation, our lamb has conquered. Now, why would any preacher in their right mind choose to preach on Revelation, this scary, awful book at the end of the New Testament, uh, when there are so many other lovely readings for today, the raising of Tabitha, who makes clothes, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, the good shepherd, right? But I'm going to preach about Revelation. Even did a Bible study about it, too. Come back next week, we'll have another Bible study about it. Uh, I mean, even our denominational namesake, Martin Luther, wanted to keep Revelation out of the canon, the official list of books of the New Testament, because he didn't think there was really any value in it. I mean, there's no question that this book scares us. There's so much 
frightening imagery in it of beasts and horsemen and all these other sorts of things. But it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, it wasn't that way. Revelation's original message was not one of fear. It was one of hope. Hang on to that. You see, the author of Revelation, John of Patmos, as he identifies himself, lived during a time when the Roman Empire dominated. This was sort of towards the end of the the first century AD when he was writing. And Rome was all about world domination, literally. Rome's idea of world peace uh, was the idea of conquering the entire world, which to give them, to sympathize with them a little bit, that kind of makes sense. If the whole world was ruled by one empire, theoretically, everything should be peaceful. Well, that worked out really well if you were an upper-class Roman citizen. Uh, But for everyone else, it was a pretty costly price. If you didn't buy into Rome's vision fully, Rome had ways of making your life miserable. Now, the writer of Revelation and his fellow Christians fall squarely into that latter camp. John of Patmos hated Rome, called Rome Babylon, uh, reminiscing back to the, the Babylonian empire that took Israel captive in the Old Testament. He hated Rome, and this writing Revelation was his way of showing it. In a world where those who opposed Rome's vision constantly drew the short straw. Revelation presents another way. The current system of Roman domination, according to John, was not the way that it had to be. And indeed, there is another way. The way of the lamb. And so we actually meet this lamb a couple of chapters before the reading for today. And the scene is classic apocalypse literature. And that's one of those words that has come to mean something that it really doesn't mean. Apocalypse is not the sense of world-ending destruction, even though that is one of the definitions of it in English now. But apocalypse just comes from a Greek word that literally means sort of an unveiling or a, or a revealing of something, right? So I call this the dinner is served baptismal font. So if you think about it, unveiling, revealing, right? That got laughs at 8 o'clock. Maybe I just didn't say it with the same tone, but unveiling, right? So apocalypse, just revelation, right? It it, it means what it it says. And so in that scene from Revelation chapter 5, there's this scroll that John sees in his vision. And this scroll has to be, there are seven seals on it, it has to be opened. Uh, But then there's no one who's found worthy enough to open it, except someone announces the lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered. Surely this conquering lion is worthy enough to open the scroll. Now this would have been an expected predictable move for apocalyptic literature where these fierce animals stood at key plot moments to move the story forward. But then all of a sudden, we're in the throne room of God in this scene from Revelation. All of a sudden, from behind the throne emerges not the lion, but the lamb. And a lamb, the text says, that looks as though it has been slaughtered. It's a far cry from the conquering lion. 
but a surprising plot twist that begs for our attention. And so jump ahead to our text today, and this lamb comes back. And now there's a great multitude that no one can count gathered around the throne of God and the lamb, acclaiming the lamb as the one who brings salvation, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to the lamb and to our God forever. They shout. And so no wonder we get these texts from Revelation in the Easter season in our lectionary readings. These are texts that have inspired canticles of praise and hymns of Easter triumph. I'm sure you could think of so many of them. At the Lamb's high feast we sing praise to our victorious King. For the Lamb who was slain has begun his reign. This is the feast of victory for our God. So many more. And indeed, these texts from Revelation help us to sing our way into God's new Easter vision for the world, proclaiming Christ's resurrection and victory over the forces of death and destruction. This lamb that we sing of is an unexpected character in Revelation. And the victory of the lamb is an unexpected plot twist where you expect the lion, you get the lamb, where you might expect Roman military conquest to be met with reactionary military might and revolution, you get the lamb. That kind of conquest is not the way of the lamb. It's not the way the lamb conquers. Instead, we get the image of the slain but living lamb who shows us that God's self-giving love is stronger than anything the empire could possibly muster up. Lamb power, as one theologian calls it. And it's a vulnerable kind of power. Just this past Tuesday, Christianity lost one of its most influential and well-respected writers, the Canadian philosopher and theologian Jean Vanier. And if you were here several weeks ago for one of our midweek services, you heard me talk about him a little bit there. Vanier is perhaps best known uh, for these communities, these group homes that he established for adults living with developmental disabilities called L'Arche, the French word for the Ark. These homes are now established in like 35 countries, I think almost 150 homes around the world. There's a couple in Chicago. But Vanier was interviewed a few years ago. And in that interview, he talks about this idea of vulnerability. And I've always found this part of his interview incredibly powerful. For him, he says, to love is to be vulnerable. And so if God is love, he says, then God is incredibly vulnerable. God doesn't force God's love on us, but enters into a relationship with and alongside us and shows us what love looks like. It looks like Jesus who eats with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and lepers and everyone that society considered unclean, all without judgment or prerequisite to change. Just being alongside, showing love. It's so simple, Vanier says, that it's even disarming. 
We don't quite know what to do with that kind of vulnerability and that kind of self-giving love, that lamb power. It's an oxymoron, lamb power. But against all odds, it is a powerful one that offers us hope that no empire, no system of oppression, no form of injustice, no act of violence, no relationship ruptured, no medical diagnosis, nothing can overcome lamb power and the promise of resurrection and life that it holds. This is the message of Revelation, and this is our Easter proclamation. Our lamb has conquered Our lamb has conquered all evil and injustice. Our lamb has conquered death and destruction. Our lamb has conquered oppression and hatred in all of the ways they present themselves. Our lamb has conquered and carries us with the writer of Revelation through the great ordeals of our lives. Our lamb is our shepherd who guides us to springs of the water of life who wipes away every tear from our eyes, who leads us from death into life. Our lamb has conquered, and so we can shout, Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia.